Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is <laughs> my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. So what we've learned already at right at the beginning of this roundup is that Ben Cassidy cannot follow instructions. <laughs> Purposefully. They can be right in front of me like they are right now. <laughs> Well, it's just me. This, hey, but this, I still figure week. it out. I still you find did. a way. You did. I love you the did, adventure. You did still find a way. You did still find a way. Well, um, we don't have any. We don't have Cody this week with us. Um, Cody is chasing wolves in Idaho. Right on. Yeah, he's also hunting mule deer. And I have gotten a picture of. I think Daryl Carver's hunting with him. I've got a picture of Daryl Carver from behind with a moose shit on his back. So I don't know what that means. Maybe he's, you know, feeling amorous, like he's seeing Daryl Carver in a different way, his luscious blonde locks. Um, maybe he's proud of the moose shed. Uh, he's certainly not killing anything right now. <laughs> Just having a good old time. So, uh, and, you know, because it's not about the kill, right? Right. No, 
As Cody's proving. <laughs> As Cody is proving, and he's going to get, you know, I feel like I need to, you know, we're going to hammer Cody all podcast long so that he can listen to this on Monday as he's coming out. <laughs> so what did I miss? <laughs> <laughs> well, Ben Casty, welcome to the Roundup. Um, introduce yourself to those that uh, may not be familiar with the great Ben Casty. Yeah, appreciate it, Robbie. Thanks so much for having me on. Uh, ben Cassidy with uh, Safari Club International. I'm our EVP for uh, government and public affairs. So I've been on board for a little over two years now. And this year has been just a little crazier than last year, right? Every year's got its own flavor, right? <laughs> I mean, crazy is crazy, though. Yeah, it's been really interesting. It's been good. It's been busy. It's been active. I was telling you, you, you uh, like were sharing some uh, different stories with me. It's like how busy the world can be, you know, every yes, corner, something's happening. Yeah. And we were, um, Ben and I were fortunate to be on a, a Zoom call the other day. Oh, my. That absolutely blew our minds. Floored. Floored, right? So I'm going to set the scene. I jump on the Zoom call, typical Kroger. As the audience knows, I'm early to podcast. Like I was on this podcast at 6.50, you know, just getting ready. Cody's He's always, yeah, just like, you you know, you're late, Cody's late. It's, you know, it's it's part of the deal when when, when dealing with people. And so I'm sitting there and I see someone come on the Zoom. And it's this guy, he's got an elephant tusk in the background. I'm just looking and I see there's an African-American gentleman sitting next to him. And I literally, you know, I don't know why we tend to do this. Like, you look at your computer screen and then you push your head closer to the computer screen to see, am I really seeing who I'm seeing? And the individual was... Dikembe Mutombo. Dikembe Mutombo, the the, the wagging finger, Mount Mount Mutombo. Big 55, my man. I was was blown away. I get into all these Zooms. I spent all of yesterday, I think, on a Zoom call. And that one, or or yeah, it was two days ago. I was just blew my mind and then hearing him speak his voice incredible incredible yeah the depth sounds like he's been smoking for 90 years (laughs) but um he just you know like i said to you over email like we were emailing back and forth saying holy shit it's the kebe matambo (laughs) and um it was like you know to us in south africa you know we went to a multiracial school basketball was a, a pretty big deal at our school and he was the guy. Like, he was the only guy we recognized in the NBA, apart from Michael Jordan, of course. But he was the man. Because he was the only African in there. It was just... It was surreal, man. So cool. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm calling in from D.C., um, where I'm from. And he's a Georgetown Hoya. I mean, just the biggest deal. The biggest deal, literally. Um, just, yeah. I never, I never thought that call would be that way. You know, it was an end of day call with some friendly faces. You know, I knew Robbie would be on, but Dikembe just popped in. It was visiting his neighbor, basically, right? Like literally, he. They, yeah, you know, we don't know if he's a hunter. A water plant, uh, like a water pipe, the other day. Yeah, busted water there. pipe. They started talking about schools, and I guess they got into hunting. What, what do you do? I like to hunt. Didn't seem like he had an issue with hunting. No. Not at all. He saw the benefits of hunting, if anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I. Uh, so do you think he's going to come? Do you think he's going to come to the convention? I would think so. I mean, if he's built this relationship now, 
I mean, I, I'm hoping so. Okay, like I'm an op- I'm an optimist. I'm gonna be there, so I hope he'll be there too. I thought I was jealous of you because you got to go right after him and actually share words, and you had this open-hearted, awesome poem about what he meant to you and everyone in like your life. I was just like, oh, well, I said it, but then he, then he, <laughs> yes, but. I also started pouring my heart out and his Zoom feed froze yeah. and he couldn't hear me anymore. And I was like, uh, like okay. You can't well, have to say, no. Yeah. <laughs> and then he's no. gone. <laughs> if, I, if I was actually on my game, I would have done the whole finger wag, but sure. I wasn't. Hey, um, save it for in person. 100%. In Las Vegas. Jeepers creepers, man. Um so how how is everything going for convention? I know that you're you're getting you're you're doing a lot of stuff, but uh, you've got the floor right now. You've got a podcast, so you know people yeah, are listening. Um, it's going awesome. You know, this is our 50th anniversary. It couldn't come at a better time. We've got all of our members just completely jacked up, juiced up to just get back together. Um, we're back in Vegas. You know, after a few years out in Reno, Vegas is like our memberships happy place. Um, no better place to celebrate the 50 years. So until got, Nashville, yeah. Well, yeah. Let me get there next. <laughs> it only gets better, right? We're going to have a blast in Vegas, but then we're taking the show on the road. We're doing Nashville for, what, three years? I mean, I don't know the last time you went to Nashville was, but that place is incredible. Some of my best times with my friends and family have been in Nashville. I can't wait to with the SCI family. And just open it up to the rest of America. You know, it can be tough for a lot of folks out east, you know, or southeast to get to Vegas. But it's like... 70% of like America's population can drive to Nashville within 12 hours. I mean, just a whole other world of access, but yeah, Vegas though. I don't want to get ahead of it. Awesome entertainment every night. You know, we're at the Mandalay Bay um, again, a place that, you know, we love and have so many memories at, and you know, all of our exhibitors jacked up, you know, a thousand plus that are going to be in attendance. Um, it will be that ultimate hunting experience, the ultimate hunting marketplace. So yeah, and I think we're at, I think we're at ninety days today. Till we're there, not that running every day, but yeah, yeah. I have a little counter, you know. Yeah, you have a an X mark. <laughs> every you you wake up, blurry night, coffee, like okay, put the next X in. Like a person in prison, but not so much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, um, well, let's get into it. I've got a, a couple, a bit of admin to do beforehand. Um, we have a text message line that uh, people can text us with um like thoughts and ideas and it goes to cody's phone so i've I've told people you know please don't send any selfies or anything like rude or whatnot but hey if you feel the need to send him a kiss or something like that you know text cody a picture uh six two zero eight six zero four eight zero four is the text number and actually we've received four texts this week last week i asked cody had we received any texts and he said no and I was bitterly disappointed. But we have four texts, and every single text said, this is so that Robbie is not bitterly disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't want to let Robbie down. Yeah. So uh, anybody that feels like they want to text, again, send us uh, a text at 620-860-4804. You can stick it in your phone right now. If you want us to talk about wolves, if you want to talk about anything, elephants, you name it, send us a text and, and we'll discuss about it. Um, we've got a phenomenal supporters program going on right now, a traditional bow. I actually put up a couple of pictures today of a trad bow that's getting built for us, 48 pound, uh, draw weight, 48 inches, 
um, buffalo tip uh, overlays, buffalo horn tip overlays on the edges, rattlesnake backing on the limbs. I told the guy, I said, it's a pity I can't win it myself. Yeah. But I cannot. So uh, we have some phenomenal stuff in our supporters program. And just for the cost of a cup of coffee a month, you can help us do what we do every single day. Um, what else? Smile.amazon.com. Uh, I know this is uh, um, SCI. People that support SCI will put Safari Club International as their nonprofit. Uh, you can choose Safari Club International or you can choose Blood Origins as your nonprofit. Uh, but make sure you are choosing one of them in smile.amazon.com and uh, a percentage of your purchase, not your money, but Amazon's money, uh, gets sent to your nonprofit of choice. Did you know that? No, now I'm signing up right now. I'm not distracted or anything, but I've got the... No, that's fine. Because... You all, and the thing is, that's the only thing. So what we've learned also is that if you go... If you do smile.amazon.com, you click it in, it, it operates just like Amazon. And um, the next time you actually go to amazon.com and you start filling out, it will remind you, hey, do you want to use smile.amazon.com? Awesome. It's the same process. It just validates your purchases so that a percentage of those purchases then go to your favorite nonprofit. Why wouldn't you do it? That's incredible. Why wouldn't you do it? It's essentially free money for your nonprofits. Because it right come out of your back pocket. So, yeah, um, I think that is about it. Uh, we also have an email, info at bloodorigins.com. If you want to send us, again, any information, any uh, interesting tidbits that you find, all of that kind of stuff is, is everything that uh, we like to, to touch on. Um, okay, with that being done, with that being said, all the admin complete. I know I skipped over a couple, but that's okay. Um, Cassidy, you are the guest on the roundup. Thanks for having me. We allow the guest to start us off in terms of topics that uh, I sent you an email with a bunch of things that hit the table, but I know that you got access to a bunch of other things that hit the wire. Um, and so the floor is yours for your choice of topic that you'd like to cover first, my friend. Yeah, thanks a lot. Um, I guess I would just dive right into U.S. federal politics. And oh, why? Why start so? Want to just get heavy real quick? I yeah, just, just, I just, I just drove back home from DC in like an hour and a half of traffic. Traffic, so I'm feeling kind of like edgy, and just thinking about what's happening in DC. Why I go through such a commute every day, um, and the Hill right now very active. Obviously, people are talking about these trillions of dollars that are potentially going to be spent, and what Joe Manchin's going to do, what he's not going to do, if a deal is going to come together. Joe Manchin, probably the most powerful man in politics on the Hill right now. I would say you're so. not disagree. Yeah, I would say. I mean, like, people refer to him as president. Hi, Mr. President. You know, I mean, and he, he knows it. He's got the swagger to it. Um, he likes being in that spot. It's a hot seat. But right. if you're taking errors, you're doing something right. Um, but, yeah, right now they're going through the appropriations process, right? So determining what the funding levels are going to be for the government uh, for the next year. And one area that we've been really focused in on has been trophy bans. And in the House, all appropriations start in the U.S. House of Representatives. Um, they had language in there as a rider, so it would block funding for Fish and Wildlife Service to process permits from Africa on trophies. So that's just devastating, as we know. You know, what is that? Section 426, right? 436, yep. 436. Yeah, 436. 436, exactly. So that passed out of the House. Um, it was put in a 
big block of votes that were deemed controversial by Democrats who control the House. Um, so it was passed along with a bunch of other ones. So we couldn't actually see a tally of who was for and against this specifically, but it moved on. Senate then takes it up. The Senate this week introduced their version of the Interior Appropriations Bill. Um, and, you know, in a miraculous moment, it did not include trophy ban language on the Senate side. That is puts awesome. us in a really which is which is kudos to you. Right, kudos to it's you guys a lot because that's a little bit of you know back channeling, talking to the the appropriate congressional staffers to just say, "Come on, guys." Right. So it's it's yeah, it's finding the right people that are making the decisions on the Senate side, showing them what it will do. Um, I would say a lot of it's credit to you know folks in Africa. We had ambassadors from. Zambia, Zimbabwe, Botswana send letters to Leader McConnell and to um, Chuck Schumer. So they sent letters over um, laying out, you know, how this is bad policy. Um, It looks like they actually got read. They weren't read by, you know, Nancy Pelosi, uh, as we saw with the language included, Mm -hmm. but saw that left out. So it's not a done deal. They still have to come together in conference. So the House and the Senate are going to meet together and hash it out. But we're in a really strong position knowing that half of the folks talking don't see a point in having it in there. And really, it's a nothing burger at the end of the day. From a, from a political chip perspective, I don't think that there's people in the House that are like going to die over their sword for Section 436. No, and I would think that person that's going to die on the sword dies on the sword, or they get thrown out of the room, right? Because they're talking mm-hmm. about trillions of dollars, they're talking about universal education, like a number of things are just high dollar, permanent, you know, um, programs, not this sort of thing that's very partisan, bad policy, doesn't make sense. Why upset the apple cart with that when they're talking about something bigger? So that's our position. And it's been thrown out in the past. You know, We've been able to have the Senate toss it before. Why break precedent? There's a reason why you've done it before. Focus on those bigger issues so you can get home for Thanksgiving, get home for Christmas. You know, Let's move exactly. on. Okay. So just so that everyone is clear and that people understand process here, the language of Section 436, is it is it tied in with this whole deal that they're talking about, the $3.5 million trillion deal, or is that something completely separate? It's, it's completely separate. So that big deal is just its own legislative vehicle, whereas this is part of an appropriations bill that happens every single year. Perfect. So yeah, Perfect. It's, it's, it's part of the clutter of what's going on right now that makes like this time so tense on the Hill. And typically, appropriations are are uh, voted on and approved in in the November October November timeframe. So deadline, you know, passed um, at the end of September, and they voted to give themselves an extension um, till December third. And I imagine that they're going to kick the can again into the new year, mm-hmm. which is fine, you know, by me, because that means it keeps the spending levels that were passed by the Trump administration in place. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that when they actually do try to pass something, the new year is going to be full of some really bad policies some really controversial stuff. Um, but we're working to make sure it doesn't, so that controversy doesn't in- include hunting, right? Right. hundred percent, hundred percent. Um, since I've, since we're talking about Washington, DC, one of the things that we've always been constantly worried about is the Cecil act, right? Is that still floating around? Is the guy from Arizona still talking about it? Is he, you know, what what's going on with that? Yeah, I mean, we're prepared for that bill. It's always, it's. I, I would say that it's kind of floundered. So it's, 
It's the chairman of the of the Natural Resources Committee. It's the chairman. It's the top dog. Revolja, right? Raul Grajalva. Raul Grajalva, who actually represents our our office in Tucson. He's never come to visit. We have a beautiful museum. His admission would be free. We'd be happy to, you know, follow <laughs> ethics and everything and have him over. Um, but he has not come over yet. Um, but yeah, he, he's introduced it, I think, for like the last, you know, say four years. This past August was the sixth anniversary of, you know, the Cecil media storm. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have not introduced it yet, this Congress. And I've seen that it's gone down in sponsors, you know, seems like every time it's introduced, kind of lost some attention on it. So um, maybe he's just focused elsewhere. Um, he's kind of a mess of a human, you know, to be quite honest. But he hasn't introduced it yet. Um, we're ready to see when it does come because it's the same just bunk policy that we've seen across the board. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, yeah, it's super interesting, man. Politics, you know, it, it, a little nuance. When I was at the university and as a professor in the university, didn't know anything about politics. Didn't. was completely naive to politics. And I was, in, I was uh, allowed to be in this like program called Lead 21, in which you just like interact with all these land-grown institutes across the country. And for the first time, I started understanding like people's roles about getting voted in and legislation and senators and house representatives and, and obviously the job that I have today and, and dealing with blood origins and whatnots. Politics is everything. It is everything. And, you know, if you're not framed up for it or you're not cognizant of it and you're not thinking about what that next step will be and how that next step will influence the next step in a political world, right. you just can't get anything done. Yeah, whether or not you're paying attention to it, they're making the big decisions that are going to affect you directly. So when you get mad about, you know, not being able to do something or having to do something and you weren't paying attention, it's kind of on you, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, we talked about 436 in in the, in the Senate, and right now 436 is out. Um, any other news topic that came across the wire this week? I know you, you, have, you have an SCI newsletter that you send out. Um, there's a pretty interesting article in there, a couple of interesting articles in there. Yeah, I need to pull up what we had go out this week. Um, one thing that I've just been noticing a lot of, and I just don't, I mean, it's been a, since the beginning of COVID, but I've really seen it start to boil up just internationally, is just the discussion of zoonotic diseases, mm-hmm. zoonotics, and really being weaponized or politicized in that discussion where it's really just focusing in on just all the negative side of wildlife trade, right? But nowhere in a lot of these conversations do you see anything interjected about positive sides of wildlife trade, you know, the things that we talk about and understand all the time. So that's kind of an issue in an area that there's not threatening legislation moving on it right now. But I just feel like a narrative is building that's counter to what's true and what we do. Um, I think it's really gotten ahead of itself in Europe, in Brussels at this point. I know that the you know folks at FACE that we work closely with are doing a lot around educating you know members mm-hmm. of the European Parliament, MEPs over there. But we always see it. There's just this strange invisible string between us and other elected bodies. So I just know that that's about to just kind of jump here. We saw going back to the appropriations bill in interior language, addressing it, 
And we read through it, you know, with the fine tooth comb, just because we're leery whenever we see anything talking about wildlife, but didn't have anything with paws on it. But it did give me heartburn just for down the road, you know, um, where does this kind of shift if we don't make sure that we keep pounding the drum and reminding people about, you know, what hunting does um, across the globe for conservation and for, you know, livelihoods. Well, it is an interesting, you know, it's a piece of rhetoric that the anti-hunting establishment has picked up, right? We, we saw it in California. We saw it in many different places, them tying the idea of COVID, the idea of wet markets. Like, it was, you know, it was so blatant in California that they took their, you know, iconic Protected Species Act and they redlined it and everyone could see the red line yep. <laughs> and left the rider on it and tied it to wet markets. So it's almost that there's a rhetoric that is... Right now it's COVID. Right now it happens to be zoonotic diseases. There's going to be the next one, right? right. It's it, it's just the rhetoric that's being used to to attack us. What's the vehicle that you can just stuff your argument into, right? Mm-hmm. They've they've found a neat one with that. It's the same old playbook. They just dust it off with a new you know vehicle. But I, I see that I see this one kind of festering and being a way to, for us to to talk about what we want to talk about too. You know, for the next you know year or so. The um, obviously one of the articles that I sent you um, is one that just constantly comes up, and we talk about rhetoric and COVID and zoonotic diseases. Wolves has oh, been yeah. the, the pet issue that has been utilized constantly, um, and one and the article that I sent you was from the Mountain Journal, saying scientists say uh, Gian Ford's anti-wolf, anti-grizzly policies in Montana have no scientific basis. Um, Thoughts there? I know that obviously you're in a unique position in terms of of, of where you sit. Um, general I thoughts? Yeah, I mean, you see the number. It's like we have 150,000 accumulated years of experience and 1,500. Yeah, 1,500 accumulated years. A, yeah, a million. Yeah. You know, I'm just like seeing yeah. all these zeros. Like, great. And I, I I love at the beginning of the Mountain Journal it says, you know, we will print any response that has scientific, you know, support and is from scientists basically. Right. Mm-hmm. But that entire op-ed, we can't call it an article. Like it's very opinionated. Um, doesn't have any science to it at all. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it really is just opinion. And what really gets under my skin that they do on it is this division of Hunter in it. They're talking about it's for the elites and not for the Hunter, you know, we're for the small guy, not for the, the big greedy guy. I never saw any of that written out that way until they kind of frame it that way. It was right. very, it was very politicizing, and they they claim that the other side's politicizing it, but then they're coming back with their own version of it. I mean, what I ended up reading into it was state management works, right? Mm-hmm. The state mm-hmm. has decided that they're going to go down this road in how they're going to manage, and now they don't like it. Okay, well, what are your reasons? What what plan did you like? What did you like that was happening before that was so successful? Do you like the way the, 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 the current state is right now where you have way beyond what the actual population needs should be? I mean, that's what I read into it. I mean, it's like, what, what is it at right now for, for, for the wolf population in Montana? Like 12,000? No, 1,200, like, I think. 1,200. 
1200 Okay, sorry. Again, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, terrible yeah. with numbers right now. I'm thinking about <laughs> trillions of dollars in D.C. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, so 1200 but that's far beyond what they've had. Yeah, 150 to 180 was the Fish and Wildlife Service target objectives. Target objective, accepted low, right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, that right in there is just saying it's been managed properly and the state has done a good job. And now the state's decided to, to include, you know, new ways of hunting wolves and they don't like it but they don't draw out why and they have to go and play a dirty game of like basically like class warfare to try to make their points it's the greedy versus like the public land hunter that does it Mm -hmm. himself and Mm -hmm. yeah i don't know i mean it clearly got under my skin i just really got under my skin where they're just like we'll accept any responses that are scientifically based with all the paperwork behind it and where's yours i don't see it Right, there was very, there was no, and, and the fact that it started by saying this is an op-ed. Yep. And and that's the thing. If if you're going to allow someone to write an op-ed, then someone else could write an op-ed. They may have a scientific background. That's what they're asking, right? You have to have a PhD behind your name. Yep. For, for you to respond and to rebut us because, you know, I guess a PhD gives you some sort of, you know, yeah, we've studied for a long time, but that's okay. A lot of yeah. people know a lot more stuff than PhDs. You're right. There, there was no, there was no um, scientifically defensible articles that were quoted. The scientifically defensible articles that were linked, um, <clears throat> unlike you know op eds that you've seen from an Amy Dickman or um, you know Adam Hart out of the UK, in which right. they write an op ed and there's four, four you know since we're butchering numbers, 40 links, you know, a dozen links, 40 million, 40 million links. No, a dozen Uh, links to science-based articles. Right. That's what I'm used to seeing. High quality from like a, yeah, a Dickman or like, yeah. Um, The other thing is like, I Googled the guy that, that like the lead author on it, that was his op-ed. He just passed it around and got some signatures on it. Right. Like, I mean, I saw everything else that he's ever posted. A lot of it being in the mountain journal. I mean, his background is with the Montana Wildlife Federation. You know, those are the fine folks that brought us Tracy Stone Manning, who's now running the BLM, um, mm-hmm. well known for her tree spiking and, you know, threatening to maim and hurt and kill, you know, loggers. Um, so I don't know. I lost a little bit of respect for, for, for where that was coming from. Yeah, you certainly when, you, when something like this gets published, it's not a group writing it. No. It's one person who's writing it. You know, you'll send it around to your co-authors. What do you think? They may do a little bit of editing. Um, but more than likely, it was like, hey, I'm writing this op-ed that is, you know, anti-wolf management. Would you be a signature to it? And probably a bunch of them said, yeah, I'd be a signature to it without even what, reading what he was about to say. Yeah, that's what happened. I can't justify that. I can't. That, I don't know if that's truth or not, uh, but sometimes that happens when people are, are extremely busy. Um, well, let's get your blood pressure a little bit down. Uh, and I say <laughs> only a little bit. Not that, possible. Um, um, so shifting to South Africa, we had a, an article this week that um, pretty sad in the Farmers Weekly down in South Africa, uh, published September the 27th, 2021. And the article title said, South Africa lost 250 rhinos to poaching in the first half of 2021. Is there a bigger poaching 
problem in the world? I don't think it's a competition that we want to like highlight, right? Um, but I don't see how you can match that sort of devastation, right? I would, I would say the only thing that probably comes close that nobody's ever heard of is the pangolin. Yeah, that popped into my head too. Which is a scaly anteater and, uh, you know, they're tiny little animals, right? They've got probably less than a kilo worth of scales on them at any time. And, you know, people are confiscating, you know, 20 tons of scales. Just imagine the amount of animals that it took to create 20 tons of scales. And that's uh, really Southeast Asia, right? Right, right. They sort of whoever, you know, some sort of medicinal market grind down the grind down the scales. Yeah, uh, the scales are the same thing as a rhino horn, right? The same sort of um I I I I want to say yes, but I do not know the answer to that. I don't know if the scales are keratin. I know obviously we all know rhino horn is keratin like your fingernails. I think it um, is. I think that's kind of that, that's the appeal. Yeah. Yeah. So 250 rhinos lost in the first half of 2021. Um, since 2011, almost 10,000 rhinos have been killed across Africa, um, with uh, instances peaking in 2014. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the things that I wanted to get your opinion on is we talked a little bit about trade. What's your opinion on trading? I mean, it's not really an area that we focus in on at Safari Club. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I, I think about CITES, right? Where they had their last, you know, in-person cop. Um, and this isn't rhino horn, but it was elephant ivory. Mm-hmm. Where they have all those massive stores of elephant ivory in, you know, Southern Africa. And then being told by CITES that they can't use it. Right. Mm-hmm. And then those, that's all, you know, that's not done through poaching. I mean, that could even be just from like natural death that they've collected it all. And they have these giant reserves. And when it comes down to it, it's that country's natural resource. You know, some places have lithium, some places have gold, some places have copper, some places have ivory. Right. Um, and just being told by, you know, folks, whether or not it's been done right, that they can't use it. I think that that's pretty criminal and unjust. And, and I would think that there's instances too with the rhino where that would be the case. Well, the unique thing about a rhino is that it's actually sustainable, that you can chop the horn off and in two years' time, I think it grows a kilo a year, that it grows back. So this is my thought when it comes to trade of ivory, rhinos specifically, these two two things that it seems to be a never-ending battle of we can never trade an ivory and rhino horn again. That may have been true in the 40s and 50s, where lack of technology, lack of regulations, lack of support, funding support, lot less people, so lot less eyes around. Yes, a trade in ivory and rhino horn could have did result in massive illegal activity associated with that resource. But today... With all of the technology that we have, all of the policies and regulations that we have, all of the enforcement, the technology in law enforcement, there is no doubt in my mind 
that if you decided to legalize ivory or legalize rhino horn trade, just like alligators, which is the most regulated commodity in the world, that thing is chipped from when it dies to when it hits a Louis Vuitton purse. Mm-hmm. Like they know they can track that thing completely. It, it should work. It would work because you have, the, we, again, I come back to, we have the technology to be able to absolutely, you know, take out the whole like funny business side of it and really market and say, this is where it came from. This is how it died. This is, you know, the whole story behind it. And as you said, Zimbabwe's sitting on half a billion dollars worth of elephant ivory. And just this week you saw, um, and I think this is this came out of your, and we can dovetail it, this came out of your your newsletter that got sent out, of the impact of COVID on wildlife conservation in Africa. Like 99% of tourism was shut down in countries outside of South Africa. In Botswana, 96% of all tourism-related employment with either temporarily laid off or permanently laid off. Yep. So how are we going to pay for conservation? That's where it comes down to, right? This is the boiling. This is the thing that we as hunters keep coming back to, is that there is a value to what we do because it pays to keep that wildlife on the ground. Right. And if you were really thinking outside the box, and we know that hunting is not the panacea, for wildlife conservation, what else could be utilized? Not relying on NGO donations or, you know, which is not sustainable. And at the end of the day, there is a sector of NGOs that do good work. And there's a sector of NGOs that actually don't want you to do any good work because if you're doing good work, it's taking away from the mission of showing that you're doing a bad job, which takes away from fundraising money. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, oh. there's the NGOs out there that I mean, they don't, they want, even if you have all the safety measures in place and the and the, the tracking and everything down, it's all done cleanly and it regenerates and nobody's hurt and there's, you know, all done well. They don't want that to happen because they want to be able to still show, you know, that it's killing off all rhinos and you need to save them right now. Give us money. Yeah, if you're, it's almost the antithesis, right? It's the idea that, if you're actually doing a good job, you're putting them out of business. Right. Totally. You take away the, the, the you know, the cash cow, the golden cow for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't know how it could happen. It's, you know, I don't know. It, it may be just too big of a, too big of a lift. I just, you know, I wonder how they... You know, alligators is the key. Alligators is the example. But I don't know, man. It can be done. It can be done. It absolutely can be done. But will it is the, is the you know, the golden question. I'll tell you after that CITES meeting, I know just talking with all the Southern Africans, how dispirited they've been. Just want to give up on being in CITES. You know, they all threatened to just pull out of it at that point because they've just been silenced. It doesn't matter how much they say that they – they manage it properly. They know how to, how to do it. They know how to, you know, do it without, you know, hurting population levels um, and just not listen to. Yeah. It's extremely frustrating. 
I got two articles that came into my um let me ask this question. I think we'll let's end on this one because since you fired up, I may I may fire you up a little bit more. Uh-oh. You have any thoughts on uh, yeah? <laughs> you have any thoughts on Prince Harry? Oh boy, what is what is the prince doing right now? I so mean, he wrote he wrote an op-ed uh, to tied to drilling in the Okavango in the Okavango watershed. Right. Yep. Botswana. Yep, it yep, was yep. published in Washington Post. It was an op-ed between him and a guy called um, I'm, I'm getting his name right now, Reinald Mangundu, who's a Namibian environmental activist. Um, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I don't know. I'm throwing you under the bus here because you haven't read the article. So um, <laughs> I know, like. I know what Prince William said about, you know, billionaires needing to focus more on, like, planet Earth. And I kind of, like, enjoyed that. But Prince Harry, I didn't see it. And that's my local paper. Just tell me about it. Yeah, so it was an actually... I did see, I did see the headline. The Washington Post yep. printed a op-ed, and it was published on October the 14th, so very recently. And it said, protect the Okavango River Basin from corporate drilling. There's a Canadian company called Rencon Africa coming in looking for exploratory drilling, drilling. And, um, you know, the whole point of the op-ed was, is there, a, is there a time and a place to just say no? Like, I understand that there's opportunities, economic opportunities for countries, tying back to the resources that you just discussed, right? Lithium, gold, drilling for oil. Um, and again, here's where the contention comes into it, right? This is us sitting in America, sitting in a first world country, saying no to drilling. And so is Prince Harry saying that. But the locals who say, well, no, I can make some money here. I can improve my life. I can, you know, who cares? And, and, and I, I don't know if they're saying this or not, but who really cares if the Okavango gets a little polluted or not? Um, I, I struggle here because... The reason I sit in the chair that I sit in today is because of the Okavango Delta. It's where, as a 16-year-old boy, I fell in love with swamps. I fell in love with wetlands. I fell in love with this, this crystal clear oligotrophic, which is a very nutrient-poor system in which you could look 14 foot down into the bottom of the water column and you could see hippo, hippo footprints in the detritus as you're slowly like macoring through the reeds and stuff. It's a magnificent wilderness area that's untouched by agriculture because of tsetse flies. And it's a, it's an essentially, you know, it's not a wonder of the world, but it should be because the Okavango river got shifted in its course tectonic from through tectonic activities from dumping into the Indian ocean and it dumps into a desert. So it creates this amazing, amazing wilderness. So it's a conundrum. Yeah, for just like U.S. side, it makes you think about just arguments around like Pebble Mine, you know, right? Like with factory for salmon, you'd see that that sort of thing too. Is like, is there any place that just needs to be off limits? You know, I think you've seen it really well, at least you know in the United States and modeled over, you know, the rest of the globe, just with like national parks. You know, I think that we all agree that there is a place for for parks and for having that preservation, right? Um, there's also, you know places where that multiple use, you know, it goes to best use, mm -hmm. um, where it benefits the people the best. Mm -hmm. I've always, you know, 
it's it's an interesting dilemma and it's an interesting sort of topic to discuss because we inherently know and and maybe this is a very much a first world um thought process that green spaces spaces that we can get into conservation preservationist type spaces are good for us good for us mentally um they're good for the ecosystem they're good for environmentally they're good for the economy all these kinds of things but in a third world context people don't see it that way and so i've said in the past maybe on the roundup is conservation the idea the concept of conserving places habitats ecosystems a first world paradigm and only meant for the the rich essentially because essentially you've taken care of and the reason i say that is because you've essentially taken care of the essential items that you need to survive you've got a food system in place you've got a water distribution system in place you've got an economy in place and and almost after all of that oh now we can invest in conservation because it's a luxury maybe we've been lucky you know in like a first world we have been lucky in a first world to be able to get to a place where we're able to have time and ability to think through you know being able to put together the system that we have in place right now right mm-hmm. i'm thinking in like the united states just like our own public lands right mm-hmm. i think that's the backbone of what makes like american hunting so unique and what Correct. makes american hunting so unique is that it crosses every different class right right the poorest to the richest you go to a lot of other places where there's just only the poor and only the rich do it but we've got the middle class doing it here too i think that's because of access because of public lands and through that use of those lands the education that folks get on what conservation means and the pride people get on being able to give back um i think that that becomes passed on to other generations and it just benefits our society and it benefits our own lands you know for, for, for a long time. I think it's a lot harder to get to those lessons when it's like, I'm just worried about feeding myself today. Um, but I think if it's when it's in place, it's the best system that ensures that we have what we want to have um, for as long as humanly possible. Right. Mm-hmm. No, I totally agree. It's, it's such a, it's such an interesting discussion and, and it's also a little foreign to people. You know, I can speak from it. You can speak from it because we've seen it. We've been there. But when you've never been there and you've never truly experienced poverty, the way yep. that these people live and, and the counter to it on how happy they are in that circumstance, it's, it's, it's really something to ponder. So are locals pushing for the drilling to happen? I have not seen any articles to that. Obviously, the Renko Africa is saying how many jobs, the economic benefits, yada, yada, yada. You know? Yeah. It makes me think of just this last week, um, the Biden administration decided to reestablish the size and scope of uh, Bears Ears and Grand mm-hmm. Staircase, those monuments, you know, a couple million 
roughly, right? My numbers. Roughly, yeah. roughly. A couple million for, for both of those. Your numbers things. are getting better and better. Yeah, <laughs> I'm starting to dial and stuff. Um, but under the Trump administration, they took what Obama had put in place on his last day in office, which expanded it back down to just covering the bare essentials using the Antiquities Act. You know, the Antiquities Act is, you know, going to put those preservation status around like specific antiquities, like say it's like cave drawings or, you know, something that just cannot be messed with. We all can agree right. on that. But it was abused, I would say, under the Obama administration where they expanded it, where they were considering the antiquities. Um, I mean, this is in writing. You know, they were saying the the Antiquities Act would cover deafening silence, um, clear starlight, you know, uh, the, the, those things were considered antiquities, um, which I think was a kind of extreme mm-hmm interpretation of what the law is mm-hmm. and that's what it's gotten back to but then i'd ask about the locals you know in the Kavango, because you know when i was working in the administration we went through a whole process before you know the white house decided to, to shrink down the mines again to talk to you know tribal leaders sportsmen you know just folks that live on the land and use the land to determine what the size needed to be and i think that that was missing and you're seeing a lot of folks particularly out west that are just really, you know, up in arms right now and fed up. Cause I mean, it's basically just playing a political game with shrinking and growing it. Like it needs to be established in law, um, what it's going to be. Cause like the antiquities act is just one person, you know, signing it and it locks that land down. Um, I just don't think it's the right way to manage land that, you know, so many can use. I'm concerned as a sportsman just about access. Right. So does the antiquities act. And again, I, I got really confused with the whole bear tooth wilderness kind of thing. So the Antiquities Act doesn't allow for sustainable use like hunting? Doesn't allow access? So the Antiquities Act is used to designate land as a monument. And monuments have that sort of protected status, more of like a preservation um, where it would shut down things. Like I would say like like motorized vehicles, right? Like an ATV. These are large, I mean, again, we're talking about a couple million acres, large swaths of land where Unless you're like, you know, able-bodied, young, and have two weeks off from work, you know, may not be what you're going to be able to access. You know, those places that you used to go. Isn't that a isn't that a good thing? Based on what we just talked about, in terms of like these areas, these these conservation areas that are good for us, good for the ecosystems, good for wildlife yeah, populations. We, I mean, so like in the U.S., like a lot of that's already been determined, right? With like our national parks that are in place. But then just whenever you want to make a decision to just keep blocking off land using one person's pen to do it without any input from the communities mm-hmm. about how they're actually utilizing it and mm-hmm. getting best use, multiple use out of it and how it's benefiting the people, which is, you know, what it's meant to be there for. Um, I don't think it's the right way to, to make these decisions. Makes sense. Makes sense. So I'm with you, but I'm not. You know what I mean? No, I, look, I like it. I like it when people aren't with me. Uh, that's the whole point of these these conversations. Well, that's an argument, and that's congenial. So, <laughs> well, look, uh, we have um, exhausted the uh, the articles that we had this week, and I know that I wanted, I have, to, ask, uh, I wanted to ask one thing. Yeah, about, about these cap- captive elephants. Oh, okay. Go ahead. We I actually uh, I noticed I sent that to you. We talked about it on the roundup last week. Oh, okay. And, Never mind. Uh, no, no, no. I, I sent it. I sent it to you. Listen to the roundup. No, it's it's a crazy situation. 
All right. So there's this whole, so just to catch everyone up to speed that didn't listen last week, like Ben Cassidy, who obviously doesn't listen to our roundups. Thank you for admitting that. Um, so they use captive bred elephants to go right there. now. Yeah, they... my bad. <laughs> and I'm peeling back in the back of my brain. It's like, okay, I read it about ten days ago. Let me see how much I can regurgitate quickly. Um, no, these captive bred elephants are used for almost anti, no, sort of anti poaching, but guiding population surveys and whatnot. And obviously, these elephants are aging out and the animal rights activists and India is the hotbed for human wildlife conflict and is the hotbed for animal rights organizations right now. They are passing laws in India that will blow your mind. They cannot kill a single, single piece of cattle. Now that's religious. There's a religious intent there, but they're releasing feral cattle into the forests. Okay. That's why you've got a monstrous leopard population, lion populations going crazy, wolf population going crazy, bear population going crazy. They pass a law that you are not allowed to kill any feral dogs. No dogs are allowed to be killed, euthanized, nothing. So, again, massive leopard fodder. That's why you've got urban leopards all over the show in India. I saw a video the other day of a leopard, and I showed it to a guy. You may be familiar with him, Gavin Lipschitz. He's a houndsman for leopards in South Africa. He even said that's that's probably the biggest leopard I've ever seen. Really? (laughs) <laughs> and it was walking down a street, a tarmac street in India. Um, but anyway, so these Kinda guys like in Minnesota. Yeah, so these mahouts that are the elephant trainers that probably care for these animals more than anyone. I've seen documentaries of these mahouts and the way that they treat their elephants and whatnot. So the animal activists are saying, no, 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 you can't go get any more elephants. That's not not loud. But then, like, how do you go into these areas to monitor tigers? Because obviously, being on the back of an elephant, tigers not, is used to an elephant, not going to associate with humans. You get good data, good scientific data. Yes. Um, so, yeah, it's a, a very interesting, like, catch-22 scenario. It's wild. Yeah. Now, that one really caught me. I appreciate you sending it since I missed the show. <laughs> Well, you certainly made up for it for being on the podcast, and I appreciate, well, I'll say this, I appreciate the the fire that you brought to the podcast, because 50 minutes has flown by. Sure uh, I do apologize, because now you're all wound up, and you may have to have a little bit of brown liquid before you go to bed and just calm down a little bit. I can make um, that happen. I'm sure you can. I'm sure you can. <laughs> well, Ben, it's been an absolute pleasure, man, and uh, I can't wait to see you in Vegas. Hopefully um, before then, but yeah, absolutely in Vegas. I hope you're coming out for the whole thing. I'm getting out there on Tuesday the night, uh, yeah, Tuesday the 18th and staying all the way through. Yes, Don't sir. Worry. We'll do it. Uh, any final words? No, I mean, I just really, yeah, appreciate being on. I mean, keep doing what you're doing. Um, you fight the good fight in every way possible. Love all the videos. I love the podcast. Can't wait for Cody to come back. <laughs> well, now that, now we know you're lying because you don't listen to the podcast. You don't listen yes, to I the do. Podcast. I do. <laughs> no, we do. I, I, Cody, I've actually been signed. Up for, I've been signed up for Smile for years now because of you. And <laughs> don't let Safari Club International know that you chose Blood Origins now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ben, you're the man. Awesome. Likewise, Robbie. I appreciate it. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always.
leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.